Thank you so much. Praise the Lord. Let's, let's pray together. I don't know about y'all, but I want, I want to pray when I sing songs of praise and worship like that to the Lord. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. Let me just enter to a time of just praying to the Lord, praying for you, praying for your needs, that God would meet all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Uh, you guys that are on the, on the internet there, on the online, we welcome you. We're inviting you to bow your heads with us, close your eyes. Many of you from many places in our country, even around the world, are watching. And we just want to enter into the presence of God now through prayer. We have entered his presence through praise and worship, now prayer, and in a couple of moments uh, through the reading, the public reading of the Word of God, and then through the preaching of his Word. Lord, we love you. We humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that you would lift us up. Many people come today, Lord, heavy hearts, lots of burdens, things that are weighing them down. Of course, Lord, we're still praying for uh, this COVID-19. We're asking you, God, to send this vaccine and send it quickly. I pray that it works. Pray, God, for our nation, for healing in our nation. So divided, Lord, and pray for, pray for peace and justice. Pray that your will would be done. We pray, God, for uh, our president today who so very much needs you and all of those elected officials. We're asking, God, that you'd give them wisdom and favor. We, we want to be found faithful, God, to you and to pray for those in leadership. Lord, we love you. We, we know that without you, we can do nothing. But with you, God, we can do all things through Christ uh, who strengthens us. And as we prayed earlier, I just want to pray it again now. God, we, we come to you and ask you, Lord, to release, Lord, your Holy Spirit upon this place. And we're praying, God, that you would do what only you can do. You do the supernatural, God. We live in the we live in the mundane and the natural, and we so desperately, Lord, I de desperately, just crying out and praying for a touch from heaven, a touch from God today that would change our church and change our lives for the glory of God, for the furtherance of your kingdom. Lord, I'm praying right now for every person that is in this room, in this building, and for each person, Lord, that is watching us online, that you would bless and that you would give favor and that, God, you'd give healing, restoration. Just do some miracles, Lord, we pray. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Our study today is going to take us to Acts chapter 12, so we invite you to uh, read along with us. Everybody has a story is the title of our message today. And I just go ahead and prepare you that I'm going to introduce to you 15 people uh, in this text. There will be 15 different people that will be mentioned in 12 through 25. If you're new to Great Hills and if you're watching us maybe online for the first time or here uh, in, the, in the building, my name's Danny Forshee and been the pastor here for a little over 10 years. And we are preaching through the book of Acts. It may take us 10 years at the rate that I'm going. Do y'all know that January will be two years that we started um, the book of Acts and we're not even <laughs> halfway through. So when we get to 14, finish 14, we'll be halfway through. But I don't know about you, but the title is The Church on the Move, and I'm just loving it. I'm loving the study. I, I love being able to be your Bible teacher for a few minutes, give or take few, few, use it loosely. But um, man, just so honored to be able to preach God's Word uh, to you. I, I sound loud to me. I don't know if I'm loud to y'all, but if y'all could tone, tune me down just a little bit, Chris, if you're back there, or you'd. I just feel like um, I'm, I'm real, real loud. I don't know what it is. Am I loud to y'all? No? We good? 
Oh, goodness, you ask a bunch of Baptists, you're all going to have, have an opinion, you know, small, medium, large, whatever, so tune me down just a little bit. Thank you. So let me ask you a question. Are you thinking that your pastor is going to give you a 15-point sermon? I mean, because we did introduce 15 people here today. So we've narrowed it down to seven, all right? Six or seven we're going to look at. And I love biography. I, I'm a autobiographical biographical junkie. That's, that's what I am. I just love reading, studying people's stories. And I'll tell you why. I love stories because I learn, I learn from those who do well, and I also equally learn from those who don't do well. So I want to imitate, emulate. I want to follow after the pattern of those who have left a great trail for us that illuminates our own trails. But I also want to avoid the mistakes and the pitfalls. I'm a student of history. Somebody said, if you don't know your history, you will repeat the mistakes of the past. So we want to learn. We want to glean from holy history, and we want to dive into the Word of God and, and study it and appreciate it so that, watch this, so that not just our minds are broadened, and I'm, I love to teach. I, I love to study God's Word, and I love that whole cognitive, theological, theoretical realm that's important to me. And I want your, I want your spiritual IQ to just burgeon and blossom today. But more than that, I'm praying for your heart. I'm praying that your heart would be touched. Um, I was told one time, you'd be a much more popular speaker and preacher, basically, if you just didn't talk about the Bible so much. <laughs> if you'd use your gifts for storytelling, and uh, in your gifts for speaking, if you could just use them, just tone it down a little bit, not so much Bible, man, you'd be incredibly popular. I'm not interested in being popular. I am very interested in faithfully teaching the Word of God. And that is my task. That is my, that is my objective. So the Bible says in Acts chapter 12 that Peter is in a mess. He is in prison. The guy that just killed his good friend James um, executed him, probably through beheading. Uh, on the next morning, Peter himself will be executed, no doubt. It, it's happening. And while Peter is asleep in prison there in Jerusalem, there, are, there is a church that is meeting in the home of John Mark's mother, Mary. And as they're meeting, they're having an all-night prayer vigil. You ever been to one of those? I mean, it's an all-night prayer. The reason they're praying is because one of the pillars, one of the leaders in the church, the Apostle Peter, is on trial. He will be executed unless God supernaturally intervenes. There are 14 soldiers, excuse me, 16 soldiers, and they have guarded his life, and yet God supernaturally releases him from prison. Now we pick up the narrative. We pick up the story where we left off last time, and here it is. So when Peter had considered this, meaning when he was contemplating just what had happened to him. He had been supernaturally let out of prison. He went to the house of Mary. Now, this is not Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many people were gathered together. And what were they doing, Great Hills? They were praying as a church. And Peter, he knocked at the door of the gate, and a girl named Rhoda, whose name means Rose, came to answer. And she recognized Peter's voice.
Because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. Are are y'all okay? Y'all know what's going on here? They are praying for his release. God releases him. Rhoda runs to the gate and sees that it's Peter. She gets so excited, she runs and leaves him standing there. I mean, he's like, okay, you want to let me in? And she's just so excited. She's probably an adolescent, maybe even a teenager. And she runs back and, they, and she says, oh my word, Peter is, he's out of prison. And they said, you're crazy. You are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. And they said, the church said, no, it's not. It, look, it could not be Peter because we're praying that God would release him. <laughs> You ever done that? You ever prayed really hard and God answered it and it shocks the ever-loving daylights out of you? Well, that's the way way they were. And they said, no, no, it it can't be him. It's his angel. But verse 16 says, now Peter, (laughs) hey guys, y'all want to let me in? He's still knocking at the door. And when they finally opened the door, they saw him and they were existemi is the Greek word. It literally means they were out of their minds. They were bewildered, they were astonished. God had supernaturally answered their prayer. But motioning them, watch this, like, shh, shh, guys, come on now. It's probably three, four o'clock in the morning by now. He motions them, please keep silent, and he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And then he said, go, tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Then, as soon as it was day, there was no small stir. (laughs) I love the way the Bible describes things. No small stir, meaning there was some serious commotion going on in Jerusalem, in the precincts there where they kept the jails. And there was a stir among the soldiers because what had happened or become of Peter. But when Herod, now remember this is Herod Agrippa, the grandson of Herod the Great, He searched for him and did not find Peter, and so he examined the guards, and y'all know what happened to the guards, right? He said uh, they should be executed or put to death, and they were. And then Herod Agrippa went down from Judea. Now, when the Bible says they went down from Judea, whenever the Bible mentions Jerusalem or Judea, because it is very high and lifted up above ground zero or above sea level, but also spiritually speaking, the Bible, when it talks about Jerusalem, it always has an elevated, lofted mentality when it talks about the earthly city of God, if you will. So, but when they say they go down, they, they are literally going north up to Caesarea by the sea, and Herod Agrippa stayed there. Now, Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him with one accord, and having made Blastus the king's personal aid, their friend, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. Now, watch what happens here. So on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. And the people began shouting, this is the voice of a God and not a man. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck Herod Agrippa. He's only 50 years of age because he had not given God the glory and he was eaten by worms and he died. But the word of God grew and multiplied. One more verse. 
And Barnabas and Saul, are y'all counting? It's like 15 names, by the way, if you're not counting. It's like 15 different historical, biographical people that Luke mentions in this one narrative here. But Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry. Remember their ministry of taking the offering from Antioch, going 300 miles south, giving it to the church at Jerusalem. And now they are going to get John Mark and they go back with John Mark up to uh, Antioch there on the Orontes River. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at stories. This is a very odd sermon that I'm about to preach. I have six points, but I have seven biographical caricatures or figures. And I, and I just want to, here's what I want to do. I want to enter into your world and let you meet these people. You say, well, that's what you do all week. You study. Yep, that's what I do. That's what I love. I love to study. I love to preach God's word. And again, it's not just for mere intellectual stimulation or for cognitive purposes. It's for the reason that you might so engage in biblical history and you might just so engage with the biblical text and watch what God does, the spirit of God. He just has an affinity with this book that he wrote. And as you read it, and as I preach it, some miraculous things happen. I mean, God begins to speak to your heart. God begins to expose your heart. And he begins to compare you maybe with some of these people in this text. And that's what I'm praying uh, is about to happen. The first person I want to introduce to you here is John Mark. Um, John is his Jewish name, and Mark is his Roman or his Gentile name. He's a prominent person in the New Testament. You're gonna see just how prominent he is in just a few minutes. Let's first of all, just go ahead and get this out, that he was wealthy. The house in which he lived, Mary, the mother, the way the Bible describes this house, this was a beautiful home, it has a vestibule, it has an outer court, it even has a place that that goes outward to the street and has a gate. And so when Peter comes and knocks on the gate, they hear it, but they have to come out of the house, through the vestibule, out of the outer court, then they make their way to the gate. So what, what, what um, Luke is describing for us here is, is a beautiful home, people of means, people of wealth. Look, if you have money and God has blessed you, uh, that, that's okay. I mean, God blesses many people in the Bible with uh, finances and economic ability. And here's the thing, when God blesses you, please be a blessing to others. Uh, maybe God would bless you more if he could trust you to be a blessing to more people. And that's what Mary is doing. She is opening up her home to a prayer meeting for the church of Jerusalem and they're scattered through all Jerusalem. They go to the temple, but here they are in her home and there's a bunch of people in the house and they're praying for Peter to be uh, released. John Mark, who is this guy? Well, he will go with Barnabas and Saul. He will go on a missionary journey with them. He will desert Paul, remember this? He will say, this is too hard. And he leaves uh, Paul and Barnabas on their missionary journey and he goes back to uh, Jerusalem. Now this causes problems for Paul because Paul feels like he can't trust John Mark anymore. And so there is a parting of the ways. In fact, there is such a dissension between Paul and Barnabas over Barnabas's cousin, by the way, John Mark. 
that what Paul does, he says, well, I'm gonna take Silas and we're gonna go on our missionary journey. And John Mark, you can go with your cousin Barnabas and God bless y'all, but you deserted me once and I'm not gonna take you again. Watch this. Can it be that good, godly Christian people can have disagreements with one another? Yes, they can. But I wanna tell you this, before Paul left this life, he and John Mark were restored. And I read this in, in Philemon 24, when Paul says, and please um, let my fellow laborer know that I'm thinking about him, John Mark. Also in 2 Timothy 4.11, Paul specifically asked for John Mark at the end of his life because he says he was useful for me in the ministry. And yes, this is the guy that wrote the gospel of anybody? Mark. John Mark recorded Peter's sermons. Peter's sermons, basically the gospel of Mark is a recollection of sermons that Peter preached when John Mark was following him around. You see, here's the thing about John Mark some of you can relate to. You started out really well and yet you sorely disappointed God. When it got hard and when it got difficult and when the temptation was too great, you gave in or you left, you abandoned it and you said, this is too difficult for me. I might even get persecuted for my faith. So, hey guys, good luck to y'all, but I'm going back home to mama. And that's what he did. But yet look what God did. God brought him back to himself. God restored him to the apostle Paul. And here we are, Matthew, Mark, Luke, who wrote this book, Acts and John. Before I leave it, can I just, can I just tell y'all something really encouraging? Your failure does not need to be final, okay? If you have messed up, and we have, we all have messed up, the devil would say, well, we'll just put you on the shelf there. You can never be, look, you failed God. You failed your family. You could never be used of God anymore. And so just, just realize that you're a nobody and that the church really doesn't need you anymore. And I come against that and say, that, don't listen to that. God loves you. God can restore you. We need you. The church of God needs you. Ask for God's forgiveness and come on back in the game because it's God's will, God's desire that you get off the bench and get back in the game. The next person I want to introduce to y'all is Rhoda. Rhoda, whose name means Rose. I love this young lady. She's probably an adolescent, maybe even a teenager. She's excitable. She's full of energy. She's up all night with the gang. Did y'all see that? Rhoda, a teenager, is part of the prayer meeting. I, I couldn't wait to say this. I'm gonna go ahead and say it. Now, how many college students do we have in the house or teenagers or middle school people? Anybody? Raise your hand. Okay, I see a, I see a few of you. I wanna let you know, you guys know something. You are not the future of the church. You are the church. Just let me help our people out just a minute. Okay, so occasionally I have to do this with our people. Amen, brother. That is a good word you just preached. Amen. They are not just the future of the church. They are the church. And we love you. And we've, we've got high expectations for you. When we have a prayer meeting, we want you to be a part of the prayer meeting. When we have people go out and share the gospel, we want you to go out and share the gospel. When they go on mission trips, we want teenagers to go out on the mission trip with us. Rhoda Rose is a part of the church. She's praying for Peter's release and she's the one that got to see his face first. I love this young, energetic 
teenager, probably raised in a Christian home. Are you with me? Led to Christ at an early age. Is, is, now, this, I'm kind of getting into conjecture. I don't know this for sure, but I'm going to use my sanctified imagination and think that she became a Christian at an early age. Maybe you, maybe you became a Christian at an early age. You had godly parents who made you, I mean, invited you to go to church with them. <laughs> Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, anybody remember those days? And we're really strict on you. Can I just tell you something? I have been all over this world, and I can tell you there would be millions upon millions of young people who would trade places with you, would beg to have a parent who loved them enough to make them go to church, who loved them enough to get them into Sunday school or vacation Bible school, who loved them enough to say, you really shouldn't act that way or dress even that way. You should really kind of pursue the Lord. And you just teenager, just mad, mad, spitting fire and mad and angry. I, want to I just want you to let you know something. I know I've seen them, millions upon people who would trade places with you in a heartbeat. In fact, they'd give you their right arm to be able to have what you have, a knowledge of God in the United States of America, for heaven's sake, to have all the blessings that you have. And I think Rhoda is one of those. I think she is highly prized and blessed of God. And so are many of you. The next group I want to introduce to you, I hope I'm not just boring you out of your ever-loving mind, but I'm having a good time, okay? How are you guys doing out there in the online world? God bless y'all and here in the, in the house. We got a few folks here and they're happy and we got others that aren't. So anyhow, the, the Jerusalem church, the Jerusalem church, I just want to introduce this church to our church. In verses 12 through 17, we read about them. If you're taking notes, there's probably 250,000 of them. I don't know how big your church is. But the church of Jerusalem ran about 250,000 at this point, only a few years removed from the resurrection of Christ. Now they met at the temple, okay? But they also, as our text describes, they're meeting in people's homes. And that's why Peter's like, shh, shh, not so loud. Because they have become now not, a, they're no longer covered with Judaism. They were birthed in the cradle of Judaism, but now they've broken out of Judaism because this is a new thing God has done. This is Christianity, okay? And so now as they blossom, as they grow, as God does a miracle after miracle, so now they're like, they're expanding at this enormous rate. And here we are, we get to meet them and know that one of the main things that they did was that they prayed. They're meeting for prayer. And I love this. But I also relate to them. They prayed and prayed that God would release Peter and Peter was released and what he did, the moment he was released, he went to thank the people basically because he knew they were praying for him. A similar story happened not in A.D. 50 or 40 or 50, but in A.D. 1964. That was the year I was born. So I, I was really reading with interest the story, the true story. It happened in Zaire, uh, Africa. There's no longer a Zaire. It's now the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Pastor Zebediah Idu, man, what a guy. He was a follower of Christ in Zaire at the time. The communists came in and controlled. And what they would do is 
anybody that was dissenting or disagreed with them, they would incarcerate them. And then when the, uh, when the spiritual leader, a man by the name of Patrice Lumumba, Lumumba, I mean, he was the spiritual revolutionary in Zaire. And basically anybody that disagreed with him, then it could cost you uh, your life, right? And so Pastor uh, Edu is captured and he's placed in prison. And here's what happened on one day. They came in. And they said, we're going to have a sacrifice. We're going, to, we're going to kill a lot of our prisoners in honor of our spiritual leader who's brought communism to our land. By the way, read any country, any place that is ruled by communists, and that is a sad state of existence, I'm telling you. Read, read your history. And so th they bring in this truckload of people and they get them out of the truck and they would say, one, two, one, two, one, two. Y'all with me? You ever done that? It's kind of like when you're playing a ball game. If you're all the ones, you go over here. If you're all the twos, go over here. Well, in this case, all the ones got executed and all the twos got to go back to the prison. Pastor Adu was one of the twos and he went back to prison. And when he did, he started preaching the gospel to all those prisoners. After he led the eighth one to Christ, True story. After he led the eighth prisoner to Christ, somebody came rushing in the prison. They said, we have made a mistake. Pastor Adu, you were arrested uh, by accident. It was a mistake. You're free to go. And so he left and he went home. And when he got home, he looked over to the chapel, to the church that he served. And guess what his church was doing? They were praying. They were praying for his release. And he said when he walked into that church, it was like, oh my word. They were out of their mind with excitement. Aren't you glad to know that the same God who did all these miracles and amazing things in the Bible is the same God who's doing miracles and amazing things today? I sure am. I sure am. I'm so glad that we don't serve a dead God. He's alive. He's reigning. He's ruling. And all the power that he had... All the power he had then, he has today, and he will have forever. Maybe, maybe we don't experience it like in America because we don't pray like they pray. We, we don't get on our knees. We don't have these emphasis of, of prayer and where we're seeking God. And, but I, that will change when persecution comes. <laughs> and I may be wrong, but I do believe it's coming. And we're probably not going to have a hard time having this 3,000 seat or however many it is, Brother Terry, 2,600. How many of it is are in here? It, it'll probably fill up if things change and change seriously uh, against the church. I'm praying that doesn't happen, aren't you? But if it does, but if it does, I think our prayer levels will go up exponentially. Well, let me introduce somebody else to you, James. <laughs> How about James in verse 17? Did y'all see this when he said, uh, oh, and go please uh, tell uh, James, go tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Well, who is this James? Well, let me give you three James. James is, all right. James, the brother of John, the sons of thunder, right? James and John, the sons of Boangeres, the sons of Zebedee. By the way, James was executed just the other night in this prison. Okay, that's one James. The second James is a man by the name, the son of Alphaeus. He is a, another disciple. He's one of the 12. And then you got this guy. Who is this guy? 
Did y'all see it in verse 17? Who is this James? You're looking at me like, I bet you're about to tell. I am, I'm gonna tell you. James was the half-brother of Jesus. You say, why do you say half-brother? Well, James had Mary and Joseph, his parents, and, and Jesus only had Mary. Are y'all with me? It's called the virgin birth, all right? So that's why they called him and Jude, who wrote the book of Jude, half-brothers of Jesus. He did not believe in Jesus Christ. He thought he was kind of a lunatic, really. He was in the same home with him, but Jesus, you are esoteric, you are a mystical, and you are, uh, you are an enigma to us. I don't know about you. In fact, John 7, 5 says, even Jesus' brothers, y'all with me, did not believe in him. You say, well, what happened to James that made him change his mind? Because Peter now is saying, James, go tell James. Please tell James, this James, what changed his mind? I'll tell you what changed his mind. The resurrection of Jesus changed his mind. Totally changed his mind. Look, look what it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 7. After that, Jesus was seen by, y'all with me? James. And then by all the apostles. This man, James, was known as, this was his nickname. They called him Camel Knees. He said, well, that's not very flattering, Brother Dan, Camel Knees. He prayed so much, he had calluses on his knees. This James was the leader of the church of Jerusalem. Check this out. While the apostles are going and preaching and teaching and scattering abroad, James stayed home. He also wrote the book of James. Probably the first book of canonical scripture was the book of James. Isn't that interesting? In AD 62, James was captured, taken to the pinnacle, the top of the temple in Jerusalem, and shoved off. And when he landed, it didn't kill him like they tried to kill him, so a mob gathered around him and pelted him with stones, and he died a death of a martyr. But before he did, he gave us this amazing book called the book of James. Maybe we'll preach the book of James one day. Have you ever read the book of James? Oh my word. It is strong, 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 just like this guy was. All right, number five, let me introduce another person to you. Please, please, I hope you don't resemble this guy in any way. His name is Herod Agrippa. Grandson of Herod the Great, who was born in 10 BC, died in AD 44, infuriated over Peter's escape. So he has his soldiers executed, right? It really wasn't their fault. An angel let Peter out of prison, and yet they, they met, here, here's the rule. If you work for the army and your prisoner escapes, you get the same treatment that they were going to get. So all 16 of them were executed by Herod. He travels. He goes to Caesarea. Did you see this? 19 through 23. Those of you that went with us uh, last year went to Israel. We went to this very city, Caesarea by the sea. Herod the Great, which was Herod Agrippa's grandfather, built Caesarea by the sea. He named it after Roman Caesar Augustus, therefore Caesar Caesarea. And that was the headquarters for those who ruled the world in, in Rome. 
If you ruled in Israel, then you would go to your headquarters there at Caesarea. And that's what Herod Agrippa does. He goes up there with great pomp and circumstance and he's, he just thinks he's all of that in a bag of chips before they even had chips. I'm telling you, this guy thinks he is God's gift to humanity. And so there's a dispute. It talks about Tyre and Sidon. If you go just north of, Tyre, of um, Caesarea by the sea, you'll see Tyre and Sidon. There's a dispute. They send a delegation. They have an inside connection with Bastus. I'm not gonna preach a whole sermon about him. Okay, just don't, won't, don't worry. But Bastus, and so there's a reconciliation. And so they're needing Herod. They need his food. They need him to release the food that can come up to Tyre and Sidon. So at the break of day, he comes out and he has this regalia. He has this, and I'm gonna read it to you. Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, describes the day that Luke captures in Acts chapter 12. And let me read it to you. This is a secular Jewish historian not a follower of Christ, and this is what he writes. Agrippa came to the city of Caesarea on the second day of the spectacles, a celebration in honor of Caesar, clad in a garment woven completely of silver, so that its texture was indeed wondrous. He entered the theater at the break of day. There, the silver illuminated by the touch of the first rays of the sun was wondrously radiant and by its glitter inspired fear and awe in those who gazed intently upon it. His flatterers raised their voices, addressing him as a what? Little g, what? As a God. Now, at this point, he's about my age at this very point, if he had the spiritual IQ of a cockroach, he would have said, stop, please stop. I am a mere mortal man, a human being. Do not worship me. But he didn't. He's like, man, this is awesome. So he just, he received the worship of the people. The king did not rebuke them, Josephus says, nor did he reject their flattery as impious, end of quote. And then here's what happens. He grabs his heart. This is Josephus telling it. He grabs his heart and then he grabs his stomach and he, and he just melts down and his people come and they take him to his home and for five days he suffers horribly. Dr. Gene Morton, a medical physician, has described what he thinks happened when you combine the stories of Josephus with Luke, because Luke talks about worms, right? I hope y'all don't have a soft stomach because I'm about to tell you something that is pretty grotesque, all right? And here's, here's what he thinks happened to him. He's suffering from tapeworms. They have infiltrated his body and they've called a cyst. A cyst has formed probably in his stomach and it has burst. And when that cyst bursts, all these worms are released. By the way, the Greek word for worms here is skolex. It's the same word that Jesus used in the gospel of Mark, by the way, Mark 9, 44, where it says, and when they die, their worms dieth not. When people who are suffering in hell, who have been, who've been so proud, I don't need you, God. I don't want you, God. And so God gives them an eternity separated from him. Do you realize that the decision you make in this world determines where you spend eternity? I mean, that's a huge spiritual weight, a decision. And so his cyst burst 
And these worms go out into his body and for five days, unmolested, these worms eat at his body and he dies a horrible, horrible death. Luke tells us in verse 23, he did not give God the glory. In, Matthew, in Proverbs 16, 18 says this, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. Ooh, I don't know about y'all, but I'm ready to move on from Herod uh, Agrippa, but not so fast. Anybody relate to that? Can anybody relate to arrogance and pride so much so that you don't want to worship God, you want to be worshiped as God? I just wanna let you in on a big secret. That's not gonna end well with you because God alone, he will not share his glory with anybody, all right? Not even Mr. Herod Agrippa. But let me end on a high note here. Look, look, look at number six and seven. This would be Barnabas and Saul. Verse 24 follows the death of Herod with the persecuted church, with the triumphant note here that these men, these good godly soldiers, they went out, they left on the Orontes there, the, the Antioch, and they went south to Jerusalem. They gave the offering. Don't you love that? They, they entrusted the money to Barnabas and Saul and said, go give this money to the people in Jerusalem. And they did. And when they gave their offering, they met John Mark. And they said, John Mark, why don't you join our team? And so John Mark joined them and they went back to, they went back to Antioch. Um, Barnabas and Saul are the deal, man. They're the leaders of the church in Antioch. God used them powerfully for an entire year. And you'll notice in chapter 13 that God is going to select them to no longer pastor the church, but to be his missionaries on the first missionary journey. And I can't wait to share about that. Oh, by the way, next week on uh, the 22nd, we're gonna have our harvest offering. Those of you that are members here at Great Hills, uh, this applies to you, our guests. This does not apply to you. If you're a guest here today, I'm about to talk about money for a minute. And please don't leave going, all he talked about was money. I went to that church one time and all that pastor talked about was money. I'm gonna talk about it for about 15 seconds. We're gonna, ha we're gonna have a harvest offering. It's gonna be awesome. Great Hills Baptist Church, you come, you give, hallelujah. That's the announcement. That didn't even last 15 seconds, all right? And, and we're gonna do it. It's, also, it's such a fun time. You come, you give your offering. I'll share with the church in my newsletter. I'll share it with y'all again. I'm so thrilled that I, Ashley and I get to give more money to Great Hills Baptist Church than we've ever given next Sunday. You say, well, whoop-a-be-doo, what you doing? We're paying you way too much. No, we sold a house. Sell your house sometime and then, well, maybe not because you got to go live somewhere and that, that eats up all the rest of your money. But anyhow, we believe in tithing on everything and then some. So we're just going to tithe on it and just bring it as an offering to the, I can't wait. You say, well, there's a lot of other places you can give them. I'd, I'd rather give it here than anywhere. Why? This is my church. This is the place where we get to hear the word of God and we get to send out missionaries and we get to baptize people. Man, I, I don't, I, yeah, we can give money. I want to give the, the lion's share. How about, I want to give it here in our church. Afterward, y'all ask me what I really think about that and I'll tell you, okay. With which person in Acts 12 do you most relate? Let me recapitulate, just summarize briefly. John Mark, you started well. 
but you failed miserably like Peter. And God says, I know. And I love you and I forgive you. I restore you. Wouldn't that be awesome? See some of you restored back to the Lord, knowing that your failure was not final. That God didn't close the book on you and say, I'm done with you. You messed up. Get out of here. Get out of my face. No. God says, I'll restore you. Come on, get back in the game. How about, how about this young lady, Rhoda? Full of excitement and energy, resiliency for Christ. Oh, may God raise up a whole bunch of Rhodas, roses at Great Hills. How about the early church? Do we relate to them and praying and seeking God on our face? Herod, proud, not giving God the glory. Or Barnabas and Saul, faithful soldiers uh, of the cross. I just ask you the question. Just let the Spirit of God just to speak to you for a moment. I finally did it, by the way. It took me months, but I finally finished Grant's biography. 959 pages. Um, I finished it over the weekend. I learned so much from this guy. I, didn't, I just knew he was the 18th president of the United States. Um, I love President Trump, but Grant did far more for African-Americans than any other president, maybe even more than Lincoln. You say, well, tell me more. Well, thank you for asking me. I'll tell you briefly what I know about Grant. 959 pages in this summation. Through all of his trial, through all of his difficulty, he was a man of faith. Failed miserably. In every business adventure he, he jumped into, Ulysses S. Grant was an abject failure. Couldn't even afford, really, to provide for his family to eat in his 30s until something broke out called the Civil War. And when the war broke out, oh my word, this guy had demonstrated that he was a phenomenal general in the Mexican, Spanish, uh, in the Mexican War. And then when it came to the Civil War, he just began to rise and rise, and they thought, my land, this guy's Napoleonic. He is a genius on the battlefield, and he was. Struggled fiercely with alcohol. And by the way, if you have a little struggle with that, don't touch that stuff. If you're like me and have a propensity to really like it, like Stonewall Jackson said, it's, it, I, I really like it, so I got to be careful of it. But Grant couldn't, was, he, he just, he and it cost him, almost cost him being elected the president. So they win the Civil War. Lee surrenders at Appomattox and, and Grant. What, I just learned a couple things. I had no idea that his best man in his wedding was James Longstreet. Does anybody find that interesting? James Longstreet was a general for my people, the Southerners, you know, in Alabama. He, he, was the, he was the premier, one of the premier Southern generals. Before the Civil War, he was the best man of Ulysses S. Grant when he got married to Julia. I thought that was interesting. And then when he dies, right before he dies, he has no money, the general who became the president, two terms. And Mark Twain told Ulysses S. Grant, look, if you write your memoirs, your family will never have a financial worry. 
And so Mark Twain published Grant's memoirs and made, I think Twain made, if my math was right, around four to five million dollars. And Julia, his widow, got proceeds. She got up to like $650,000. Now in the 1870s or 80s, that's, that's, that's a whole lot, whole lot of money. At his funeral, 1.5 million people attended Ulysses S. Grant's funeral in New York. Next time I go to New York, if they ever open the place up, I want to go see where he was buried. The African-American people, in a physical sense, called him their savior because, because of the war, because of what he stood for, and because of his love for people who did not look like him, people that did not have the same color of skin as him. Ulysses S. Grant was a hero. And I think about it and I look at his life and I I see, and I hope this helps you guys. I want to study a person like that and I want to emulate those characteristics that are good and I want to try to avoid by God's grace those characteristics that that are evil, right? So I just want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Let's just kind of enter into this time of contemplation, asking the Lord, you know, God, what would you say to us? What, What would you reveal to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. There's an area in your life that you're just doing amazing in. I say, praise the Lord. God bless you. Won't you give God the glory and the credit for this right now? Now, some of you, David, just talked to you a moment ago, got this amazing job, this amazing promotion, and and we give God glory for this. We give God the praise. Why don't you do it? Just say, thank you. Lord. Everything I have is a gift from you, God. Thank you. Maybe, maybe some of you are here today and your mind is just so still wrapped up in this election and you just can't let this thing, you can't let it settle. I, I hear there's, uh, there's lots of stirring going on and, and uh, who knows what's about to happen. I don't know about y'all, but I just want justice to happen. I want the right thing to happen. That's what I'm, that's what I'm praying for. But what if things turn Violent. What if things turn really difficult in the coming days and years for the church of Jesus Christ? Will we stand? Will we be people of faith, people of prayer, people of preaching the word? I'm praying that we do. Maybe you're here today and you're still suffering. I mean, you're you're fearful. You're worried about this pandemic and this COVID-19 and there's just things on your heart and on your mind and, and you signed up to run the marathon and lo and behold, next thing you know, you're running a triathlon. You're like, my lamb, will this ever end? And so I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to ask you right now, just join me in just concerted, fervent prayer. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. We pray for your healing, God, for your strength. We pray, God, for supernatural works of the Holy Spirit that maybe we've never seen before, God, that you would save us, oh God. Save our nation, oh God. Renew us back to you, Lord, with a fiery love that will not deny your sacrifice. Lord, we're praying, praying for great hills Baptist Church. God, we're asking you, Lord, for revival. Lord, I'm asking you to revive us, oh God. I'm asking you, God, to make us a people of prayer, a people on our knees, a people that when we come to church on Sunday, God, there's a sense of expectancy and there's a sense of just palpable joy that we could not wait to get into the presence of God and hear the word of God, be changed by the spirit of God to go out and make a difference for you. Lord, I'm praying that for 
for us. Would y'all join me in that prayer? Would you pray for us right now? Pray for our church. Maybe you're here today and this is the first time you've been in a church in a long, long time. And as I was preaching, you heard another voice. And by the way, that is always great preaching when you hear the voice of God. You hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And it's not me, it's Him. He's speaking to you through His Word. And He's drawing you to repentance and faith. Some for the very first time. Maybe you're listening online. Maybe you're right here at 10,500 Jollyville Road and you're like, that's me. I'm surrendering my life to the Lord today. Hallelujah. Please, please let us know online or let us know in person. Please let us know that you gave your life to Christ today. November the 15th, 2020. Thank you, Lord, for saving people. Father, I also want to continue my prayer and pray the blessings of heaven upon us. I pray, God, that you would prosper our people. I pray that you'd prosper them in every way, in their walk with you most of all, in their marriages, in their families, in their neighborhoods, in their businesses, in their finances. God, bless them, and may they be a blessing, Lord, to everybody. And may they be a blessing to Great Hills. May next Sunday be a day of celebration. And church, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just want you to know, I love you. I'm praying for you that God would visit us in power even next Sunday. I, I can't hardly wait. It's already, this Sunday's almost gone for me and I have to wait a whole nother week. And I don't know about y'all, but that just, I'm just like, Lord, I love you. And I love our church and I'm praying God for the blessings of God to be upon us. In Jesus' name, I pray. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me if you would. Jeff's gonna lead us in a song of commitment. As you stand, let's sing, let's sing this commitment unto the Lord.